What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain the first ever question and answer warrior poet podcast with none other than my man Corey allen hello offering the same but completely different perspective on life thought i would bring him in here and of course the man behind the curtain the one and the only orlando rios for a completely other perspective <laughs> should that need arise like a zen perspective uh, yeah. <laughs> completely indeed. silent indeed all right well Good to see you here, man. How you been? I've been very good. Very yeah? good. How about you? Yeah, just off in the in the weeds of musicality, man. The weeds, yeah. sticks. I hear you, man. I hear you. I saw your new studio. That looks sick. Yeah. Glad to see things are going well. Yeah, things are good here, man. Just uh, you know, trying to find the balance between uh, work and uh, more work and a little bit of play and <laughs> working out and making sure that uh, keeping everything in harmony, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the challenge these days. Yeah, it's it's all the same thing anyway, you know. It's just all it's all being, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You just got to choose <laughs> which way you want to be. Yeah, it's whatever the meat <laughs> whatever, try and stick to it. Whatever the meat space suit is up to, you know. Yeah. Yeah, just make sure the right captain is in is at the <laughs> helm of the meat space suit, you know. Let, let the parasite run things. Trouble for all. Trouble for the meat sack. You know what I mean, Corey Allen? All right. So let's, let's, my, my meat sack is not troubled. <laughs> Your meat sack is untroubled? It's, you it's have untroubled. an untroubled meat sack? You're <laughs> yeah. the only meat sack in the world that's untroubled. It's because, yeah, it's because I just don't get invested in my, my meat. You're just not attached to your meat sack. No. Yeah. Well, that's uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> no, it's not. Actually, it's the most easy thing to do. That's why I love this uh, <laughs> the quote about, uh, you know, if you... The, the student asks in master, if I try really, really hard to, you know, and study extra hard, how long will it take me to be enlightened? And he said, 10 Forever. years. No, 10 years. Uh-huh. He said, well, what if I actually sleep less, try harder than everybody else? You know, don't don't take meals. I just work and work and work. How long will it take then? He says, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. We have all of the capabilities right now yeah. to be anything that we want to be. We it, just have to decide it and believe it and release whatever attachments and everything else we have. Um, but it's still not easy to do. It's that. all the trying, man. You <laughs> just is. gotta un, yeah, get her on the other side. Just of the, do it. Of the trying, yeah. Just let go. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. opening your eye, your eyelid, you know, you don't try to do it. It just happens. So your eye, you know, observes yeah, except the when your eye is like really sticky, well, there's that. closed yeah. shut or it's got a, yeah. you got a black eye That's because you get, <laughs> you're getting punched yeah. by life repeatedly and you're all swollen shut and then it becomes perceivably harder so, well that's the work you know that's where all the work and all the methods come in it's that's like it getting the crust off your and eye. methods that'll be something i saw one of the questions that we have out here so let's just start with that what one of the questions from uh danny buckler on facebook what meditation techniques do you have and have you practiced so um cory why don't you lead us off on this question first well, I think that there's there's like an infinite amount of, of meditation uh, techniques and, and different methods out there that you can try. I mean, you know, from, you know, Hindu, Buddhist, you know, all, all sorts of Eastern Sufi type of, of uh, practices out there. What do I, you like? I think <laughs> I was going to get to, like, I've really studied uh, as many of them as I could find and tried them out because mm-hmm. I think that the only way that you're really going to see what works for you is is just practice and see what type of results you get. I think that you you know it's it's uh, worth the while to to read about all the different styles and techniques, try them out, make different combinations, and see what works. Where for you. would one read about all the techniques? I mean, Google meditation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Google meditation, or read you know any any of the. Uh, you know, do you have a particular books? book that you like that uh, that has kind of shown you the many different paths? Mm, there's not one in particular. No, I mean, I've I've just, <laughs> to be honest, I've read so many of them over the last decade that. I I kind of don't even really uh, nothing really sticks out in mm-hmm. my mind is what's okay. important. But so for, do you do the research? Me, people know yeah, how to just, do that. Yeah, just yeah, just do a little research and find out you know what's good for you. For me, I think it's you know a mixture of um, breathing and visualizations at the same time are are really helpful. Uh, I think that what I'll normally do is uh, is just sit and I mean to get started you know it, meditation to people is this really difficult thing there's all this baggage around it like it's this big hard thing it's really the easiest thing you could possibly do and if it's intimidating all you want to do is at first is just sit just sit for like even five minutes and just don't move you know find a nice comfortable space if you have a meditation pad or something like that sit down and and uh, lotus or zazen posture which is what I prefer and uh just sit and if just you can't go. do that. Just go Indian style. Yeah, or, or not Indian everybody style. can yeah. go full lotus for sure. Yeah, I'm just locking the full lotus and achieve <laughs> enlightenment. It's, it's easy. No, but you know, you do that and just don't move for for five minutes and just breathe. And then the next day, try ten minutes, and the next time, try fifteen minutes, and just breathing and not moving, and just from doing that thing. So, what do you do when the thoughts start to creep into your head? You let them creep into your head because you don't try to block them at the door. Mm-hmm. You don't just, say, mm-hmm. "Thou shalt not come <laughs> pass." Yeah. What did he say? Pass. Pass. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. There's no way to keep your mind from not you know throwing up little little thoughts at you. But what you want to do is you want to let them flow by. It's like think about if you're standing in a river. And those thoughts swell up, and you just allow them to well up, and you allow them to move on. You don't, you know, don't hold on to them. Don't uh, sure. dissect them, and, and your mind will kind of tear them that, apart. Then that's and that's exactly the same method you would use in a more, you know, a, a psychedelic meditation, for sure. example. You know, the yeah. moment you try to really block some thought as it comes, yeah. you're going to get stuck on it. Well, because well, well, by blocking it, you're acknowledging it, and by acknowledging it, you're grabbing onto it, and yeah. then it grabs onto you, and, and you're, you're stuck together. So let the thoughts so come. Let, let the flow thoughts come. You. Yeah, let yeah. them flow past, because that's going to happen, and that's like healthy. That's the way that the human brain works. But um, you know, breathing is very important. You know, you want to, uh, if you prefer, you can just take simple breaths in, and if you if you get 
bound up while you're trying to breathe, you can t- try and count one, you know, on inhale, one on the exhale, two on the inhale, you know, go up to 10, and then see if you can do that again, starting over from one. When you get a little bit better at that, you can start doing things like inhaling and then, you know, whatever type of mantra or chant you want to do upon your exhale, I find helps a lot. Because I think that in like yoga or something, whenever you're stretching, you know, you're literally like pulling apart the fibers in your body where all of your emotional energy and different type of energies are stored. So in chanting, I think that the vibration of the resonance inside of your body really does something to me anyway, uh, of the same as like a yoga. Uh-huh. And so it releases some dormant totally. thoughts. And, and so what is the chant that you like to do? Um, I mean, I, I like the classic, the classic Om chant, you know, uh-huh. just a long one. Uh, old ra- school. Ra- You're going old school, school with it. Ram is a good one. You know, it's the same ra- thing. Yeah, we, yeah. Ram is like God give us, in give India. Us one. And, give us one. And, uh, <laughs> come on, come on. Give, give us one right now. Uh, I, I, will, I will. Hold on. Just, <laughs> you can't rush it. Yeah, no, you can't rush it. Yeah, Ram is a good one too. That just means God and and uh, Hindi, which of course God. They're not talking about a monotheistic God. They're talking sure. about God is in all particles of the universe and the cosmos. You know, um, that's a good one. And so also, you know, uh, you know. Like I am loving awareness is a great one, you know, that uh, you can use any of those. So, you know, as you breathe in, you know, you let your stomach relax and and inhale. And then on your exhale, you release your chant as you're you're exhaling. Uh, so I tend and to how do long that. do you do that for? Do you do a cycle and then silence? Yeah, then? yeah, exactly. So I do about, you know, five, ten minutes of that and then five or ten minutes of silence. And um I'll, during the silent periods, I'll I'll do a little bit of just of just uh, silent breath and visualization and then uh i'll also like as i'm breathing literally imagine you can imagine uh anything you want you know like a bunch of golden particles or the like if if everything you could see in your out of your eyes was like wallpaper and two-dimensional drawing that all in through your chest uh on your inhale and the more you do that and then you know you, you breathe that and then if you can on the exhale, take that with the force of the breath up through your chest into your forehead. And then as you exhale, imagine a flame coming out of your heart and all of the sharp edges and negativity and fears and anxieties and resentments and all of that stuff on the exhale. As you're imagining the fire come out of your chest, exhale all of that stuff and let it incinerate back into the universe. You should make a meditation D- CD. <laughs> we, need an MP- we need to drop the Corey Allen guided meditation MP3. You I got this shit down to a science. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And this is just my favorite method. You know, there's there's so many different things. But you try to do the This is just my favorite method. It, I mean, this is what works for yeah. me, you know. And, and so you Very do that. Cool. And that's very good. Also, the other thing I do is the is the witness. Or, you know, in, in uh, you know Hindi is the witness. And, uh, you know, Gurdjieff schools is self-meditating and, or self-remembering. And like Buddhism, it's, you know, transcendental meditation. So you can do this throughout the day. This is kind of nice because people think that, you know, if you start getting flustered throughout the day, say you're at work and, you know, something happens and you get, you know, get a little bit of anxiety or something, just uh, a little bit of the witness, you know, something I focus on all the time or as much as possible, which is just, you know, the brain has an interesting, the human brain has an interesting ability to kind of have simultaneous consciousnesses. You can have your mind in two places at once. And that's why we like to get drunk and, and, you know, people like to, you know, just get mm-hmm. fucked up in general is because you've got the the person that's driving the car and then the guy in the back seat that's just watching it all. And so when people get messed, you know, they get drunk or, or messed up or whatever, it's really fun because you're separating that, that consciousness, the observer in, in, the, in the beer without any effort. You're forcing it. But you can do that naturally. 
And so what you do is whenever you're meditating on the breath in, picture as if there's a camera like six feet um, up and to the right of where your body is uh, watching you okay. in the room. So when you breathe in, just picture uh, uh, somebody, but picture the scene of you in your room doing what you're doing. And and just do that while you're inhaling and exhaling. Each breath, just, you know, imagine yourself. And, and um, I also kind of like picture my body as like a st- is it stalagmites that come up from the ground or stalactites i can never remember which ones come from the ground I think the, the tights come from the top okay so imagine i imagine myself as a stalagmite just like as i'm sitting there there's all of the ground and all the things in my room and then my body is also just a part of this like structure that's connected to the whole mm-hmm. you know room and time and space and everything but you can do that in your car. You can be driving and just while you're driving, picturing yourself, you know, a camera above your car. Of Think of, a, you know, this three-dimensional view of you in your car driving and just while you're breathing. You can do this like at the and office. And how is, how is that helpful? Because it seems like that would further <clears throat> drive the separation. I mean, don't, don't you want to ultimately bring those together, unify those fractal parts of yourself? Because that's when I'm the happiest, I feel like, is when I'm less fractal. It, it is. It's unifying the self. It's it's putting everything in its place a bit more. It's not. It's not about separating. It's about perspective, right? Right. So the the more you get away from your like playing the character that's you, you know, you get really caught up in being this guy in an office that's like trying to pound out, you know, his his work or whatever, and that he's scared, and you just get so invested in in the texture of mm-hmm. the character of what you're being, and you're forgetting about the consequence of just being in general. So if you are, you know, you're playing this role in this this theater play of like this person, I'm this guy and I'm being this guy in this office, you know. If you do this type of obs- observational, this witness uh, thing, you remember that, you know, you are this guy, but you're also, that's just the most basic, like thinnest p- possible layer of the entire scenario, sure. the phenomenon of existence. And, if you you know by by mindfulness you know practice of the witness, you can observe yourself as this this small fragment of this much larger thing that's existing you know in, as a part of an occurring phenomena outside of just that character that you've written for yourself mm-hmm. as being. And yeah, it's a it's a really helpful. It's I made it sound really complex, but it's a really no, simple I, I thing. S- I see what you mean, that, and I, I think it's you know now that you explained it like that i think it's an incredibly useful tool i mean being able to see yourself separate from yourself mm-hmm. you know to take a fresh lens of perception on viewing your own life is incredibly valuable totally you know and that's um that's really a a big part of what meditation is is kind of escaping that whether it's psychedelic or whether it's just practiced and in your room or whether it's a float tank or whatever mm-hmm. you start to see a different perspective on your own life, how you're living it and what's going on. And uh, there's a lot of blocks too sometimes that you'll get past. And then uh, this happened to me recently. And um, you get past this block of what you've just, it's like, it's almost like you've figured something out, you think, you know, so you just take that as an assumption of knowledge, you know, like I am this, Mm -hmm. okay, so I am this. And then all of a sudden you'll escape and be like, wait a minute, am I really that? Is that really what I am? Or did I have I just been telling myself that for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years? Totally. Whatever it is. And that's incredibly valuable because that's what allows you to course correct. And that's what can remove these blocks that are holding back on happiness and feelings of unworthiness or any kind of negative energy or sometimes held behind these masks and facades. 
Totally. And that's what like people get so caught up in their character, you know, is like that this whole thing is just this drama, man. It's this cosmic drama that we're all playing these characters and these roles. And, you know, it's it's challenging to change yourself when you're trying to go inward and make yourself better or evolve in some way, because from the perspective of everyone that you're interacting with, everyone in your life system, they've got their reality set up of like, okay, Aubrey is this guy that dresses this way and talks this way. Corey is this guy that does this and so on and so on. And if like you were up where show up wearing a type of like shirt that you're normally not wearing, if you show up wearing a, a crazy pair of shoes that you, people will be like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? Hey, uh, you know, nice shoes, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. What's going on there? And it's like, or if you show up trying to be, if you are more peaceful, you know, you've cooled yourself off somewhere with some meditation and you show up and you've got this peaceful kind of vibe. People are like, Hey, What's going on? Did you not get sleep last night? What and you're like? No, I'm just, I'm, I'm just. This sure, is a different sure. aspect of the self. But people get so caught up with you're their character in their life script, and so whenever their the character in their sitcom of their life is not sticking to the <laughs> lines, the director, <laughs> a good way to put which it. is them, gets That's really uncomfortable. It's and like, watching, like cut. I remember, I remember <laughs> watching. You know, I started watching Entourage around season three or four or five. I don't know, some something late in the game, and I thought it was pretty interesting. So. I was I had a cold or something and I got went all the way back to season 1 mm-hmm. and it was like before their characters had really crystallized. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you go back and I'm like, oh, he wouldn't say that. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> Turtle wouldn't say that. What yeah. is he doing saying that? Yeah. You know, that's not the character that I love. And I guess people, you know, it makes perfect sense people put you in those positions too Absolutely. in the sitcom of their life. So any kind of change or or juxtaposition that they mm-hmm. don't really hey hey we don't like that yeah and which is one of the reasons why it is so hard for people to change you know totally. that kind of crabs in a bucket phenomena where people want you mm-hmm. in the places that that you've put them that in. they're comfortable with yeah you know and yeah i think that you know it, if you are trying to work and you know particularly with meditation you'll seem different to people because you're like wait a second what's all this yeah this deep-seated connected internal like peace bl- coma that you're one of my saw one of my friends the other day and he was like dude you're you look like you're in a peace coma what's going on <laughs> i was like you just haven't seen me in a while you yeah. got used to everybody else man <laughs> yeah, <this laughs> but, always it, yeah but it's funny that you know it does make people a little tweaked out but you have to stick with it because they'll you know they'll relearn like what you are and like who you are really easily it's like it just takes a few t- like so if you were you know we're wearing some crazy hat whenever I saw you, and I'd be like, oh, man, what's going on there? And then I saw you, you know, we had lunch next time, and you were in it. I wouldn't think about it again because it's already been introduced into the into this episode of the sitcom. You know, it's, <laughs> la- oh, it's the last episode. That happened yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, it's um, you know, just stick with the change. Yeah, you know? Well, so so <clears throat> just to make sure we get to more than two questions <laughs> here in this, I'm gonna, I'll go give my kind of rundown on, on my own meditation techniques. Now, Corey, I mean, just listening to you, it's easy to tell that you're rather advanced. And, I, you know, you could one could say that you're, you know, on the path to mastery of this meditation technique. It's more of a challenge for me, maybe because I believe it's a challenge. I understand all the language surrounding that. But for me, it's harder. It's harder to get in there and do it. And that's why, you know, people know me as a kind of a psychedelic entheogen advocate. And it's because for me that has been a tool that allows me to really shut shut off, find that different perspective, go that different way. But that's not something that, you know, I certainly don't recommend doing things illegally at all, you know, if at all possible. Um, that's why I go to Peru to do ayahuasca. I go to Costa Rica to do a boga. I go out to different places where I can find it. And that's not always available, and that's not always an option. So I do try to maintain a consistent meditation practice without it. 
Um, so while I, while I acknowledge that for me, those are the earth movers that kind of make the big shifts, the kind of daily maintenance routine, um, you know, I kind of, I go into my, I go into my space and I think having a space is really important for mm-hmm. me, you know, cause then you start to build a habit with that space and with the things that are around you so that it's easier to slip in. It's yeah. like kind of like you, a worn shoe. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's a safe place. It's a safe place. And so I have my little, you know, it's a carpet and it's a little altar of odds and ends that I've collected throughout my life's journeys in different places and mementos that are important to me. Yeah, as um, a, as a good nothing room. that anybody would else would find valuable probably, <laughs> but like this is a rock that I picked up at this dry riverbed yeah, yeah. right after the significant change. So I have all of these things that carry with some weight and I have the things that I like that smell good, the Palo Santo and the mm. Copal resin. And I go through kind of a ritual of lighting the candles, lighting the, the incense and there's nothing magic about it, but it's all part of this ritual that kind of gets me into that state. Yeah, it sets that familiarity. A, sets a tone. And it's almost mm. tagging the experience with a smell. So if sure. I smell if someone puts poly, you know, burns some Palo Santo, immediately my mood, my whole mental state changes because every time I've smelled that, it's been when I've been going through this meditative process. So Obviously, if I burned it every time I partied, I started to get confusing, <laughs> you know, confusing messages. Like, yo, let's hit the bar and get another <laughs> stick of Palo Santo. Yeah, man. exactly. <laughs> so, um, and that's then that can it can happen like that with alcohol. You know, like yeah. the first time you have a taste of whiskey or something before you're even drunk, yeah. it can totally shift your sure. shift your mentality just from habits. But so for me, setting up that ritual, and then what I try to do when I'm meditating at my best, my best strategy is to allow like the visualizations in my head to just kind of go. And of course I stay conscious of my breath, making sure I'm not holding it or just being smooth. But for me, the closed eyed kind of visuals that'll come and go. If I follow those, that really allows me to kind of quiet my mind, you know, these kind of pictures in my own head. And um, when I can get to that state, that's, really when I know that I'm, I'm meditating well. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not afraid to kind of... I have a very difficult time falling asleep anyway, so I'm not afraid to lie on my back in Shavasana oh, yeah, because yeah. Indian style or Lotus or any of that starts to get uncomfortable. Yeah, that's what so, I was suggesting. So I'll get myself comfortable and then just you know follow the pictures and the thoughts that'll come. And yeah. and uh, usually takes about 30 minutes or 45. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't really put a time limit on it, but you'll kind of feel when you've gotten to a point where the shift has been made and you're ready to blow out the candles and, you know, kind of say goodbye to your sacred items and, uh, and move on. That's kind of my technique. Nice. Yeah. That's what I was suggesting the Zazen posture earlier. It's like a lot easier on your back. If you, if your back kind of hurts from sitting in a, like a desk chair or something all Mm -hmm. the time. Uh, yeah. Sitting with a pillow, like with your knees in front of you with a pillow, like over your heels and then sitting on your heels, you know, um, that's, that's like, uh, you can stay in position a lot longer that way. At least yeah. I find that. Yeah. 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 Very cool. All right. Next question. Marcus Spalek, who I've been in, in touch with actually, he's, uh, he's trying to create, um, a farm in Hilo, Hawaii. That's going to be very conscious. They're going to raise food and kind of have a really conscious environment. So he's, he's doing cool things, but he asks, what advice do you have for early stage entrepreneurially, ecologically, and socially minded people who want to help make the world a better place? but don't know where to start. Do you have any well, thoughts on that or I can sure. start off? No, I'll, I'll, I got a little, little thought about All that. Right. You know, I think that the thing, if you want to start on a path like that of either an entrepreneurial one or, you know, some type of socially or culturally conscious one, like the most important thing is to, to, to really think and find the, what the, 
the main interest and goal of all that's going to be? Like, what is it that you're drawn to that you have some natural aptitude towards Mm -hmm. and you kind of can't... you can't kind of can't not get into it a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. it's like one of those things that, cause that all those things that they, they mentioned is such a broad spectrum of possibilities, but find something that you, that's really, really interesting to you that you really just naturally kind of have this magnetic draw to. And I think that's really important because starting from the, from the outset with something that's got your, you've got an aptitude for, and you're really genuinely interested in, it's going to make the long term picture so much more feasible because whenever all of the really difficult things start happening and occurring, because it will happen, like, you know, any business, any type of, uh, you know, movement or group you're trying to put together, you know, the passion is there at first and it's exciting, but then there's always going to be a lot of challenges and a lot of things you have to, that didn't, it couldn't have possibly occurred to you because you hadn't tried to experience that yet. And if your intention in all of that isn't uh, an honest one and you're not honestly, genuinely really interested in what you're doing for the long haul, those things are going to be really difficult to overcome. You know, but if you but if you set your outset from something that's re- really a place of honesty and you've been honest with yourself about like, am I genuinely in, into this and drawn to it? Then it's going to make all that other stuff not that big of a deal. You know, yeah. just little little bumps. Yeah, I think that's that's very good advice. You know, and um, I always I always go back to, um, you know, you gotta you gotta also prepare yourself for the task too. And that's that there's two parts. There's finding the task, but then there's also preparing yourself. So when that task illuminates, sometimes it takes a while to illuminate exactly where that's going to go, that you yourself are prepared for that moment and that, you know, to really take hold and take charge of whatever opportunity presents itself. I know for me, I didn't know exactly what that was going to be until, you know, a few years ago. And then on it started to take shape. The warrior poet thing started to take shape. I was able to get on, um, you know, Rogan's podcast and tell my ayahuasca story and understand how that has impacted people. And suddenly the actual path itself started to crystallize. But prior to that path, um, it was just pursuing interests, gathering knowledge, preparing myself so that when I did find the path, I would be ready, that I would be practiced at, you know, being the best human I could be, practiced at handling adversity, practiced at getting all of the skills necessary for me to be effective on that together. And uh, I think, you know, you work on that, keep an open mind, take the meditation, read, read a bunch, you know, expand your knowledge base, try different things, but always with the attitude of trying to, you know, put yourself in the best position possible. Um, Eventually the path will illuminate. You'll find out what what it is that you're really drawn to both from aptitude and desire and then at that point if you prepared yourself adequately you'll be ready to just go totally just run with it and following your intuition the entire time is is of the utmost importance and then differentiating intuition from that fear greed complex that can come in too yeah that's where the honesty comes the self-honesty comes in and that's uh that can be a challenge and again meditation is a really powerful tool um for doing that just staring in the mirror for like an hour that's powerful that's actually you know so part of the aboga pre-initiation is you know aboga is this 24-hour psychedelic you're they prop you up and sit and you stare into a mirror for most of that you have your face painted and you stare into a mirror until they say until you can see what's behind you 
you know, nice. like like see completely through your body. And that's just one of the visual tricks that they're talking about. But really what they're talking about is full transparency of the ego, the self, and, yeah. and everything. So that before you're able to, you know, kind of take other people on this journey, they want to make sure that you've seen everything <laughs> that's a part of you in order to get through there. And it's an interesting practice on any on any psychedelic, too, is to, you know, take yourself to the mirror and yeah. really say, look at this human. That's how I feel mirror. every time I look in the mirror. <laughs> <Really? Yeah. I'm laughs> every time I look in the mirror, I'm just like, oh, my God. Look yeah. at that alien creature. <laughs> this is so weird. I think I may have mentioned this on a, on a podcast before, but, like, where I'm brushing my teeth or something like that, I'll be like, oh, the alien is scrubbing its head whole again. Yeah. You know, it's so weird to just be this... This this meat system with this weird open sore, this open like organic wound, and all these sharp pieces of calcium in there, and you get this stick and just like scrub it around, and then it starts like you know salivating, and like thicker <laughs> liquid starts seeping out of it. And it's uh-huh. a really bizarre phenomenon. It's quite an interesting machine. Yeah. All right, let's see what else. What other questions do we have here? Let's have a, come on. Let's how have a can hard one, one? How all right? How can one change? one's parents' attitudes to certain mostly illegal substances. I can see they need a spiritual awakening way more than I do, but I am silent out of respect. So the question would be probably broader, not just about psychedelic substances, but how do you, you know, if your parents or some, some of the older generation, people with kind of like a fixed mindset, what do you think the best way and strategy is to kind of open them up to a possibility of a new kind of consciousness or a new awareness of something that they have clear bias towards i think that the most important this is from thing, matt zavala zavada by the way thanks matt the uh the most important thing would be to be the message you know don't like you're not going to be able to talk your parents into i mean in most cases you know 99 out of 100 cases you're not going to be able to tell your parents you know your 65 year old father is like hey uh, i know you've been a <laughs> a uh, banker your entire life, but you should try, you know, DMT. <laughs> it's just it's not probably not going to work out. But as far as in, in the psychedelic part of his, that's, I yeah, think, I'd put the odds of that working out at about one in 72,000. Yeah. If I, was, if I was Lords of London, Lords of London. And, and I think if you, if we dig a little into the question and think about what the real intention, what I think perhaps that uh, is being dug at, it's not so much the 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 method, you know, which would be the psychedelic, but it's the th- stuff that comes along with that. Right. It's like, how do you get a parent to be mindful, to open that, you know, start thinking about energies and open their mind a little bit. Self-awareness, so, consciousness, yeah, yeah totally. all of that. And I think that all of those things come from being the message. You know, you can't be you know, uh, unconditionally loving towards somebody until you're unconditionally loving. You can't help somebody with their openness until you're open, you know? And I think that being those things towards them and not sticking to that old script of son and father or son and mother, because mm-hmm. most people have this, you'll see it whenever families get together for Christmas, everyone's in their thirties, but they start acting, they revert to that old model of how everyone acted whenever they were, you know, teenagers. Yeah, those old kids. relationship patterns. Yeah, they just click right back into place. And it's a matter of being strong enough to make sure that you're, writing a new story with them, you know, instead of going back into this old one and all of those things you want to impart on them that only in a genuine way, because you think it'll help them and make them happier, you know, start being those things. And then you can slowly start, you know, talking about those things to them and simply and most succinctly as possible. And, um, you know, it's a long haul. It's a long process, I think, to talk to a parent about stuff like that. But I think the more you stick with it. Is it worth it? 
Oh, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> like, no, just let him die. Try again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, no, of course, yeah, and, and even if you don't, you know, get, you know, it, it's hard to undo. Uh, it's hard to undo sixty years worth of of programming and black coffee and and cold yeah. beers, you know. But you know, the more you, you know, it, it's worth if you can get them to open a little bit, get them to relax and be a little bit more mindful. You've done a lot for them. That's true. You know, you've done a lot I think you know one of the. Uh, I've been hanging out with. Um, with a, with another guy, a really accomplished writer who's very spiritually, you know, wise in uh, in a lot of ways. And when he has, he he's aware of a lot of the Christian teachings and his interpretations of, you know, really for me opened my eyes to a lot of the wisdom that actually could be contained in the Christian theology sure. as far as Jesus's words and things. And you know, one of the things he talks about a lot is. Um, you know, kind of, I, I don't remember the actual scriptural passages, but it's something about, you know, removing the ties between yourself and your father, your mother. You have no mother, you have no father, you have no brothers, you have no sisters. Mm-hmm. And it's all about basically removing those labels and bonds from these individuals. Just because you were born from a certain person, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to continue that forever. You exactly. know, you are independent people and can forge your own relationships as you see fit and as is best for both of your lives and, and the harmony of that going forward, you know? So, and having that, those kind of attachments can generally cause more harm than good, you know? So treat them as, as a person who you may love them. You could, everything, you don't have to lose any of that, but you don't have to abide by the label that mm-hmm. birth and circumstance has created for you. Yeah. And then, so at that point you can be more free to just, you know, talk to them as a peer, as another fellow soul on a on the journey. Someone who, yes, you're very familiar with, and yes, you may love them very much, or you may kind of have some resentment or whatever issues you may have, but you can just treat them as kind of a unique soul that's walking next to you, not necessarily yeah. tied <clears throat> to you. Yeah, you're just two beings. Just two beings, know. exactly. And I think so making that distinction, I think, is is an important one when dealing with the family. And then I, I think your point is is perfect as well. Be, you know, be what you're trying to express, you know, and, and be it genuinely. People have an eye to see genuine happiness, peace, and satisfaction. You know, if you're not living that yourself and you're saying, hey, you know, you guys, you got to be more enlightened. You got to be more conscious. You got to yeah. be more awake. That's like when someone yells, calm down. <laughs> yeah. Calm down. It's like, that's the most silliest thing. Yeah, exactly. So that's not, that's not going to work either. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you have to kind of also, for me, from a strategic point, you have to, everybody's going to have the more the harder obstructions and then the softer obstructions. You know, for some people, <clears throat> a psychedelic is going to be a hard obstruction. It's going to be a, a real uphill battle to get them to accept that. If you do want to get them to accept that, you got to go the MAPS approach, which is just hard science. You know, show them the studies of the Johns Hopkins psilocybin. Show them some of the end-of-life palliative care that's done being done by NYU. You know, show them some of these hard clinical research studies because even a banker knows to trust a double-blind clinical placebo-controlled study and let that do, you know, some of the heavy lifting. And that's why I think the MAPS organization has done a great mm-hmm. job is because they're not just talking about, oh, yeah, this changed my life, man. You know, they're actually <laughs> saying, all right, these people were given placebo, these people were given mushrooms, and this is what happened. Yeah. This is the reports, and this is the follow-up study. These are the side effects reports. <clears throat> So definitely take the scientific approach, I think, if you are going to breach that gap. And you're going to have to 
it's going to have to be pretty much all science and all logic for a little while. Yeah. You know, like don't give yeah. the heavy, passionate, empathic, you know, cell before the science has kind of worked its way, softening up the defenses a little bit, you know. And then later, perhaps, if you're being that better person because of it and you're really living that, that can be the blow that'll knock down the walls. Mm-hmm. But I definitely recommend the science first. But there are, there is going to be ways that you can get people to kind of, that they're going to be a little softer towards. Like, for example, let's say you want to get your father in a float tank, you know, talk about the physical benefits, talk about how it's great for, great for your joints and it's really, you know, peaceful and it's relaxing and don't go deep into the spirit, man, you're going to lose your mind and see yourself (laughs) through a wormhole. (laughs) You know, forget, just don't do that. Just be like, let that happen, you know, like get them in a comfortable position that it's going to, it's going to be something that they enjoy or, you know, get them to yoga class. Maybe your dad be like, yo, it's really good for your body and it's fun. And then all of a sudden, you know, the yoga and the shavasana and they're actually going through a meditation mm-hmm. that they never would have done, but you convinced them to do it just so that they feel better and healthier. And so I think a lot of those strategies can be important, but um, the core of it, like you said, is just be the change that you want to help people um, to change themselves. Very good, man. Very good. All right. Let's see what else we got. Um, what do you think about um, what do you think about education? There's a question from Ty Richardson. He's asking me about you know why I went to University of Richmond and you know how that was kind of preparing. Um, there's a question for you too. Uh, about where we can follow you and what you're up to outside of Twitter. <laughs> we'll get to that, Ty. This is from Ty Richardson. So um, so basically, what's your kind of philosophy on what someone should do when they're choosing a school, what, they're, what they should get out of a university experience? Um, you know, because obviously the older generation, it's, oh, well, you go to school for something, and then that's what you do. Yeah. You know, you learn the skills, and then you, but that's not, that's not really applicable to most people. I mean, if I guess if you're an accountant, you want to take accounting classes. Yeah, or a scientist. Or a scientist, yeah. you know, you, or a doctor, you want to take pre-med. To There's learn. a few paths yeah. that you have to start at that point. But yeah. for most of us, it's kind of a, a free-for-all, and we still, still have no idea what we want to do. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean... You know, I, there's plenty of people out there that are, you know, in their 60s that have had, a, you know, big, long careers and are still trying to figure out what they want to do now that they've retired. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, what was my passion again? Um, you know, as far as going to school, I mean, I think that um, I might not be the right person to ask, you know, because I didn't go to college. I was too stupid. You know, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, right. No, no, <laughs> well, no, what was no your decision not to go to school, though? Um, it was my main decision was basically that. I'm such like a autodidact that anything I wanted to learn, I knew, you know, within the framework. Autodidact is someone who's self-teaching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, you know, I taught myself that word too. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but you know, anything I anything I wanted to do that would be within the framework of interest or passion to me is not something like heart surgery or, right. or you know molecular biology or something. And so I knew that I could just teach myself any of those things. I mean, the only, you know, all of the technical music type stuff, you know, is, is, uh, you know, I have an aptitude for, I was able to teach myself. And as far as going to school for like, um, you know, philosophy or something like that, to me at the time where I was 18, you know, I was thinking that I, 
I thought, well, that would be a possibility. I'm not sure what I would do with that, you know, if I went to school for that. And also having a, you know, being in a system where the idea of philosophy to me is breaking down and removing all of the walls of, of the, you know, frameworks of thought and then creating your own, you know, idea, your own tone of your perception of reality. The notion of like putting like a, a passing, a pass or fail structure around that seemed really bizarre to me and just didn't seem like, I didn't think I would like it. You right. Know? So I didn't do that. Um, well, so now <clears throat> you're talking to someone who did go to school and graduate with a degree in philosophy. <laughs> yeah, I remember that's, that's why I brought it up. Yeah, I remember <laughs> so, that. So, you know, so I, I think, so, so for you, it was a, you know, kind of a accurate self-analysis of what your benefits and right. would or wouldn't be. Um, for me, I was, there was some part of it that was caught up in the, you know, this is just something that, I should do and, you know, I have the opportunity to do and I don't still don't know really what I want to do. And I think that's, that's what a lot of kids are doing. And even people going, there's a ton of people who are graduating school and then going to law school. And I'm like, why are you going to law school? Like, shit, I don't know. My parents yeah. are paying for it. And, and I guess I'll go to law school because yeah. it'll buy me some more time because I know how to do school. That's like friends with, with me that like, just keep, they graduate and then they keep doing re- artist residencies like over and over and over. Yeah. I'm like, all right. I mean, I pre, you know, it's it's cool, <laughs> but at some point you're just wasting time. You're like mm-hmm. this, you know, it's a, a method of escapism. Yeah, and it's this this kind of weird way to pacify other people's expectations mm-hmm. by doing something. Hey, I'm doing something. I'm going to school. Yeah, you know, and and I think you generally want to try to avoid that. But what I did do that I loved about school is I just chose whatever the fuck class I wanted to do, and I just did it. I didn't really worry about what my degree was going to be. I ended up getting a double major in classical civilization and philosophy and minors in, um, I got some, I got economics and uh, an English minor and like a Latin minor. I picked up all kinds of stuff. I stayed there for five years. <laughs> so I, but what I ended up doing is I, I didn't really go after all these things. It just, by the end of the day, from taking all these classes, I had enough credits to do it. So I just wrote theses and got it all kind of, marked out at the end of the day but um but for me i got to get exposed to a bunch of different cool things yeah and that's i think that's you know, what like it's all so about. things that i wouldn't have thought to educate myself in like um symbolic logic you know i i really enjoyed that class and it's basically taking logical arguments in english and reducing them to mathematical equations where you can work different things out mm-hmm. really was useful in helping me think and build arguments and that was one of the foundations of the philosophy some of the you know things I was exposed to in the philosophy of religions class was great, and I found great professors, and I ended up sticking with Latin just because in classical civ because I loved the professors and the stories they would tell and the things, and then I, I really enjoyed translating the Latin from the original, and it's tough to do on your own without yeah. you know a real teacher yeah. there to help guide you through translating classical Seneca into English and yeah. really understanding the entendre where he was partially criticizing Nero and then mm-hmm. partially talking and all the subtleties <clears throat> that only a real master would know. Some of the other things, you know, some of the, even the creative writing classes pushing me to write things that I wouldn't normally have done. But when I was finished, I was like, man, that was sweet. Like I wrote a, I wrote, I ended up writing like a 16 page epic poem rewrite of Chaucer's Troilius and Cressida. <laughs> You know, and uh, good one, and and I wouldn't have done that probably on yeah. my own. You know, but things that I uh, things that I remember from there, and I got to do some drama classes, and 
So really for me, what school did is it expanded my knowledge base. You know, it exposed me to different things. It taught me how to think. It taught me how to research a little bit. And, um, you know, it, it taught me some certain social interaction skills too that were important. Could I not have done that on my own? I probably could have, but I wouldn't have gotten the same breadth and I wouldn't have found certain, you know, masters that I yeah, could really sure. catch some catch some knowledge from. Yeah. I instead of uh the symbolic logic class, I just read Wittgenstein like thirty times. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's it's interesting is that while you're saying that I kind of remembered as I was a teenager and I was like I got obsessed into philosophy like Western and Eastern philosophy and psychology and then like neuroscience. And I would just read those books over and over and over and as many as I could. Yeah. And uh you know it was whenever I, it was funny as whenever like I just you know, after reading like thousands of books on, you know, East-West philosophy and, and psychology and neuroscience, I, I uh, you know, I, I met my uh, my current girlfriend and she she majored in, in English and communications. So it's funny is that she has a vast knowledge of, of literature. And so it was like, oh, you know, this guy's really, really well read. It's like, what literature have you read? And I was like, oh. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> but an, an interesting uh, an interesting thing is that I was like kind of before Google was like a, you know, a verb. I, I mean, whenever I was a teenager, like in the 90s, uh, what I would do was I would be like, I would read the, a, a book that was interesting. And then I would, it was almost like a pre, like a predecessor to links where I would see someone talk about another book or another author that they were interested in. And I would go find that book yeah. that they had mentioned in that book. And I, that's how I, like my web of, of knowledge kind of spread mm-hmm. out like that is that then this author would say, you know, oh, I, I read this or they would note or like cite some other book and I'd go buy that book and read that. And it was just this thing where it just kept unfolding and never stopped. And it's kind of interesting is that's like links. That's like the in- internet clicking internet links. So like recommended, <laughs> right. you know, it it's like before it was, that's like an analog version. Of, yeah. Some of, of the, the best books link. I've gotten, I've gotten even still from that, you know, you'll read some book and they'll mention something and, uh, you'll get to follow that path down the way. It's a cool thing that authors do. I think I'm actually going to be writing a book in uh, 2014, Corey. Nice. So What's the topic? Be... Oh, man. Sorry, I'll I didn't mean to, to, to yeah, do that. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to let the acorn grow a little yeah. bit before I start chatting about it. But, um, you know, I think I'm going to start pushing into that frontier. But, of course, you got to uh, keep the affairs in order here, keep the on it. Thing, yeah. you know, pushing forward to make sure everything is is uh, in a position where I can divert some of my attention and mental capacity towards that. Yeah, it's a lot and, of uh, kind of a lot of mental real estate. Sure, the, one of the hardest things for me is that is that patience of saying, okay, I can't do everything immediately. You know, just allow this to unfold. Allow that there will be several months before I can start on my book because I got the idea in my head. Yeah. Like, oh, I got an idea for this. I want to do it now, yeah. but the time isn't right. Yeah, you know, I have to. I have to take care of everything in order. So shelving things like that is often a challenge for me. Yeah, it's it's funny with I find with stuff like that, like it's so easy to get so invested in like this all of the surface type of stuff that's going through your head and through your life. And whenever the more and more I feel like things are just kind of not not predetermined necessarily, but I feel like things it's just this path, this wave that's like almost written or something. It's like this flow where you know things when they need to happen that they just kind of like happen and as long as you're like riding that wave as opposed to struggling against it like things will happen in time when they need to and then later you'll realize why they happened then and then you'll be thankful that they did yeah you know i i all i really seem to be following that a lot more i agree you know i sometimes think about you know when i was 23 24 years old i thought i was ready 
to be where I am now. Yeah, me I was too. like, <laughs> I was like, what the hell? How come I'm not a you know CEO of a big company now? Like yeah. I can do it. I yeah. couldn't do it then. Yeah, yeah. I needed a, to be. I need. It happened at the time when I would be ready for it. When I would be ready for the challenges and be ready mentally, emotionally, physically, cognitively, and have everything in place and be balanced and strong enough as a human to be able to handle you know the magnification that comes with you know being in this position and um so things happen when you're ready for it yeah you know and and i think there's a quote from castaneda along the same lines that say um you know it's not the things themselves that change it's it's you it's the warrior and the perception of of yourself that is changed that allows those new opportunities to come yeah i I was it's so it may be like a like a testosterone versus new knowledge thing but whenever i was in my early 20s too i was like you know getting like lectures prepared for for like philosophy you know on consciousness and things like that (laughs) fortunately there's no recordings you know any 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 of that but yeah but you know i think about like do you look back at some of your old music and think that was cute but uh or does some of it stand the test of time i i see it all as like it's all yeah, I mean it's, it's it's interesting to see the the little seed, you know, growing, but I it's I, it's all like a path. Like I, you know, of course, you know, I could look at it and say, "Oh, well, technically or like, you know, theoretically or conceptually, those things are so much uh sh- more, you know, shallow than what I'd like to think the things I'm doing are now." But uh, I don't listen to any of my old stuff. I just like to when I look back, I kind of just think, "Oh, that's interesting." Is it's like there are the baby steps, you know, and yeah. and but in like now, like with you, know, you're talking about feeling ready to write, or you know, some of the the music work I'm doing now. You know, I think about like, yeah, I mean, it's almost like this thing about trying to like, well, when I feel this, then I'll be able to do that later. When I feel like this way, when I feel ready, I'll be able to write a book later. But it's more of like about just being now and then letting those things kind of grow out of you when they do, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, if I, you know, because you can end up like really getting into some, some challenging mental states. If you're like, all right, now I'm the guy that can do this other thing. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's, it's so much more organic than that. I think it's like letting you, you just come to each, you, you come to each other, the idea, the need and the process. And then like what you are, will kind of naturally connect and then it'll just start happening. And, you know, yeah, and that's and that's kind of um you know the two ways that that I think both me and you approach things kind of differently, you know. Yeah, and that's I right. and it's for me there's there's that kind of warrior archetype which is it's something that is helpful and not helpful because sometimes the biggest way to fight and go out and go after what you're doing is just to completely let go. Mm-hmm. And that is the challenge. That is your fight. The fight is letting go. You know, and, and I have to remind myself that sometimes, too, you know, and I think um, yourself and some of the other kind of really spiritually in touch people, you know, they they get the letting go thing, you know, intuitively. But yeah, but you, you know, can like let right go. off you, right off the bat. Sorry, man, I didn't mean to cut you off. But I was yeah. going to say is that you can like uh, a, a really awesome thing is that you can let go and be super aggressive about what you're doing, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like like you're obviously very much more aggressive with like the type of things you're trying to accomplish, you say, I can do this, this, and this, and you know, you go do it, which is great. And it's awesome. And you can do that. And you can also just like, and it's not like I'm, if, if it sounds like I'm saying, I just like sit around and wait for stuff to happen. That's not, you know, that's not what I mean. I mean that I do, you know, pursue things and make them and shape them and make them happen, but I don't get invested in the, 
the the process of it all. It's yeah. like you can be that and be aggressive and mock stuff out, but it's it's not about it's about like letting go th- during that that uh, proactive time. You know, because mm-hmm. if you're trying to buy a house or you're trying to put out a record or a book or something. You know, sitting on the couch just meditating is not going to make it happen. No, <laughs> you got to, you got to do it. You got to get it it's together. It's about letting you know? go of the expectations, letting go of the ego, yeah. letting go of all of the other things that attach to it that will allow you to kind of let it flow out of you. Let so, the muse, totally. let the muse speak. Yeah, and not being the guy that's going to go put out a record, getting yeah, caught yeah, up yeah. in the identity of like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm this guy. You know, I'm going to go play that role. It's like, no, no, no. That's that's just another trap. You know. You're getting lost in the illusion. Yeah. One of the traps of many. Yeah. Except <laughs> for us in this world that contains us meat sacks. Yeah. Hall of thorny mirrors, man. <laughs> for sure. Well, hopefully we shed a f- little bit of light on a few of those thorny mirrors and gave some hopefully. advice. A lot of good questions here. Wish I could answer them all. Um, but we did go pretty deep on the ones we did answer. So definitely uh, I like this format. I loved having you here as yeah, always. Fun. Mr. Corey Allen, how can we keep in touch with you to answer Ty's question <laughs> outside of just following you at Quiet Design? How else can we keep in touch with what you're up to? Well, you can do that, uh, the old Twitter thing. And, um, you know, I've been thinking a little bit about uh, getting like a Facebook page and putting a little bit of writing and thoughts and stuff on there. Do it, and man. Also some music stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting is that I'm very much like just – all of the things I think and all the things I do, uh, my inclination to like make it public in this way isn't like the first thing in my mind. The first thing in my mind is to like be with whoever I happen to be talking to in that moment and be there with them and share like you know whatever we're interacting with. And you know I've been you know the more of these podcasts you can take more, that same attitude though and that, apply. That's it. exactly what I was yeah. going to say. Yeah, is that like you know you could do that on not so much of a a personal level but you know this thing with all these humans it's not them it's us you know it's mm-hmm. we're all part of this big thing and so i thought about you know perhaps you know getting a, a page like that and, and putting a little bit of thoughts and writings and so make it happen letting them if you like Corey allen harass him on twitter till he does it <laughs> yeah yeah do it do that <laughs> Just that'll, poke him. that'll inspire me to to, to do it really, you know? yeah so but for the time being, at Quiet Design on Twitter. Very cool. Well, thank you again, my brother. And uh, thank thanks to everybody who wrote in questions. And um, I'll be back. I'll try to keep this, keep this Warrior Poet podcast going weekly for all you guys. Much love. Be good. Keep the faith in humanity. Adios.